you know, like some of the great art or probably specifically music, right? It's where people kind of leaned into the bad, leaned deep into the bad and then turned it into something amazing mm. when they turned it into music. And maybe it's the reason I don't enjoy it is because like I got nothing to turn it into. Right? <laughs> like, my leaning into the bad and getting into the bad just ends up with, all right, so what now? Welcome to your eulogy. This is the third in a three-part series where I talk to my two younger, excuse me, two younger cousins and uncle about a couple family deaths they went through. Uh, this episode, I talked to my uncle James about how he lost his brother and uh, father in the same year, um, and he, I, you know, he just does a really good job talking about. Um, you know that whole experience and how how to deal with it and you know what grief is and what grief is like when you have kids um and he if um (laughs) if like love needed a spokesperson he would be a pretty good spokesperson because he just um really communicated what it's like to love your family and have familial support um and he does it in a beautiful way and i hope you enjoyed this episode engineer, a physicist, and a statistician were out game hunting. The engineer spied a bear in the distance, so they got a little closer. Let me take the first shot, said the engineer, who missed the bear by three meters to the left. You're incompetent. Let me try, insisted the physicist, who then proceeded to miss by three meters to the right. Ooh, we got him, said the statistician. (laughs) That's a beautiful joke. (laughs) Oh, man. Um... But it's not on theme. <laughs> <laughs> They're trying to kill a bear. I mean, okay, um, uh, bears. Um, all right, I'll, I'll make up a joke about bear death. So this this dude dies, and at his funeral, nine bears show up, and the widow um, goes over to the bears and yells at them. She says, "Why? Why are you here?" You, you you weren't here in his life. You never came and visited. You know when he got sick, you never you never once came to the hospital. How dare you disingenuously show up at this funeral? And this dude walks up and goes, "Hey, um, I don't think they can understand you. They're Russian bears." <laughs> okay, <laughs> welcome to uh, another episode of podcast your eulogy. Uh, my name is Matthew Schneeman. Um, today, my guest is James Doherty, uh, my uncle, um, my friend, more friend than uncle because he married into the family. So it seems kind of weird to call someone who didn't torture you as a kid uncle. <laughs> Come on, I was there. I tortured you as a kid. Well, I guess so. I, I was like a teen or something. You were like 12, I think, when I entered in this process. 
Yeah, and you saw me. You said, "Oh, 12, I can be an uncle. I'm gonna go <laughs> sweet bug that kid." <laughs> You're the yeah. <laughs> um, I had um, your uh, kids on earlier today. Um, uh, MJ gave an interview, and then Seamus came in and did an interview, and they were painfully sweet. And I was trying to get some dirt on you guys with Seamus, but he was just like, I love my family. They're so great. And I was like, okay, okay, but what do you dislike? And he was like, dude, stop digging where there ain't no dirt. <laughs> I love my family. <laughs> Did he actually say that? No. Stop digging where ain't no dirt? I, like I just that made that up. It sounds like a pretty good Southern phrase. It does. <laughs> but they were great. Um, MJ was pretty nice. We talked about when she was sick earlier this year with the weird stomach problem. Yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah. And that's kind of what uh, I wanted you in uh, for this episode. I want to ask you and hear what your experience is um, as a father. Um, most, you know, um, most dramatically when you lost your brother and dad in the same year um, to a genetic heart condition. Can I say that? Is that, that basically what it was? It was, uh, it's not genetic. It was, uh, they had sudden cardiac death. So it's one of those freak kind of things, but there's nothing genetic about it. Okay. All right, so like wrong. aside from just generally being the, I went through like a ton of testing before finally uncle Nick said to me, um, yeah, just don't get fat. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, okay. Thanks. <laughs> not that my brother and dad were he was super fat, but it's like the one thing that, that creates risk that you can avoid. So it's a big thing to like be saddled with. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of instantly. Yeah, it was a tough, like, that beginning part of, you know, after my brother passed and trying to figure out. It takes a long time to do. The autopsy probably we didn't see for four months. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, like, you don't know really what happened, something hard, then you're trying to understand. And then there's a lot of weird medical stuff between what is a heart attack versus what is starting cardiac death. And you're like, does it really matter? And then you have to understand the difference of it because of when the doctors are looking at you and trying to understand stuff, they're saying, oh, okay, well, these are what the differences are. And so it's different risk factors. And then to have my dad pass, you know, less than what I guess it was so March to January. So like, yeah, nine months later and then have another three or four months of waiting to hear and then getting his autopsy back and finding out, well, basically they seem to be the same, even though these two guys were, 28 years different in age range and pretty dramatically different. And, you know, my brother, you know, was a big guy, but also was a chef, didn't take super great care of himself, had no health care. And my dad was a federal agent who'd been through, you know, physical every year for work and quite a bit of like, you will stay healthy to keep your job kind of stuff uh -huh. for a long, long time. So to have them both pass and have it be sort of related, but sort of a little bit different and have that be like, what does that mean for me was kind of a, bizarre process i don't know I, I guess like in my head i just see i would just like so quickly stop caring about all the practicalities of it and just be like yeah. screw this i don't i don't care about like um all of the the business that follows the death yeah i think that the thing that kept me going was being um, worried about my sister-in-law andy so the my, mm. my brother's widow so how can you help her it's probably what kept me focused and going to kind of say like where all the things you start to carry, like you're right from a standpoint of work or other stuff going on, you could care less. I had a, I was really fortunate that everybody 
was super nice to me, right? I had a boss who was over the moon on how much rope she gave me to kind of give me the space to mourn and take care of my family and figure that stuff out. And then I was trying to take care of my, you know, my sister-in-law, Andy, and then also my parents. And then after my dad passed, the big thing was how do I help my mom? Yeah. And how do you look out for all the things that, you know, at that point it kind of felt like I was the only man left in the family. Right. So my older sister's there, but, um, you know, my dad and my brother are both gone. So I feel like I stepped into the role of, you know, you're the guy who carries bags. You're the guy who looks after the house. You're the guy who does, you know, some of those kind of vaguely guy roles, I guess, at least for my mom. And it was, um, that's what kept me right. Kind of for me, it was about how do you take grief and instead of dealing with it all at once, it's kind of the, it gave you the distraction to kind of, um, focus on somebody else to kind of so the grief kind of came out in bits and pieces over the course of a year or two years or three years so you kind of don't have the um immediate just falling apart it's more of like falling apart in bits and pieces at times yeah um and for me having the distraction of okay i'm doing mom's taxes or i'm dealing with mom's dealing with getting everything out of dad's names or stuff like that was a way to think about them and, and love them but still not have to kind of just fall apart i guess yeah, that purpose sounds sounds especially your personality type uh, sounds like something that would would be helpful. How was your response different to um, your mom and your sister? I don't. I think it was pretty similar. Yeah, like it's the. I mean, certainly my mom. At least I knew better to know what she needs. My sister-in-law was interesting because. My brother's a big personality and a big, um, a really strong personality, especially in our family. And so when she was around, he kind of dominated. Um, and not in a way that like she didn't have a voice, but it was when we realized after he passed, it's like, oh my gosh, Andy's like Iron Woman. She is strong as an oak. Like she didn't necessarily argue with him in front of us, but there was a lot of steering of him behind the scenes or this was not like a Tom's the strong one Tom's the dominant one and Andy's all meek southern belle it was they were she's definitely uh, a bad donkey like she just um, so strong and so smart and it was like getting to know that side of her better after Tom was gone and being like oh geez how did I not see how strong and dominant you can be You, you know in comparison she seemed meek but it was like in reality you're like oh that wasn't true at all that's not <laughs> that's not how it was going down it was just uh, how it was perceived because we are just you know they were newly married and we're getting to know them and stuff like that so yeah it was um i think specifically with my my brother it was it wasn't so much that she changed by the fact that he was gone it was like what was our perception of them as a team mm-hmm. versus my reception of her now that as an individual and now she's a part of a new team right so she remarried and um found an amazing guy and it's like the in any relationship, it's like the those strengths and weaknesses come together and create a pretty phenomenal team. With particularly with Andy and Tom, it was interesting to see how they came together and now how she's recome together now with her her new husband, who is a a great guy and an equally great guy, but so different from a pinpoint. And so to see like my brother, who was um, you know the, the the two of them so my brother tom and then her new husband chad who's my brother-in-law and somebody i love dearly um are both kind people at their depths of their heart just all the way kind no issues there um 
my brother never had any qualms about um, maybe um, making somebody else uh, feel a little bit uncomfortable or challenging the status quo a little bit. Uh-huh. And Chad is the opposite, right? Chad's a lot more like me. Like, it's just, we're going to make this, I can figure out a way to do the same thing and not have to ruffle any feathers <laughs> or bother anybody. And Tom had no qualms about it. And so it was a different, to watch those different things and to watch how Andy interacts with both. Um, it makes a different team. I don't know. I, I come back to like the, the roommate. If you're the roommate who does the dishes, then it's not about nobody else does the dishes. It's about you do the dishes before they get a chance to. Uh, if you know that I'm standing in line and I'm getting kind of irritated, but I'll never have to say anything because I know that guy's going to say it first, <laughs> right? Then you just, it's not that you're not irritated. It's just like, you're like, ah, I don't have to worry about I can be the nice and kind one because you're going to be <laughs> making sure we get to the front of this line and I can just be like, oh, don't worry. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, like he just gets a little upset versus the, if it's, you're the one who has to step into that role because the other person isn't going to it just changes how that kind of goes down. I have this like rule at my house where you basically just like, you know, put the dishes in the dishwasher or wash them immediately. Um, and people are pretty good with that. But if I like leave like a spoon that I like stirred my coffee in the sink it's like oh yeah this rule is abandoned <laughs> like in a moment it's just like you know it just looks like you're doing the titanic's like dishes <laughs> you're just like what well, come on your sister katie what what was it like for her um when when you lost your brother and dad Jeez, that's a great um you know, she did some really, she is cooler than me. She does amazing things. She's had some amazing life experiences and done some just fascinating stuff. She's a master's degree in European history. She's fully traveled in Europe and tried to learn German. I mean, she's done all sorts of amazing, had a bunch of different and interesting eclectic jobs. Um, when my brother passed, she really took a hard look and said, this isn't what I want to be doing. Um, I want to take some time to figure out what it is I want to be doing. Mm. And so she spent some time in South Carolina with my sister-in-law and tried to see if like, should I move here? You know, again, I think she was had some purpose of like, could it, is it, is it to help my sister-in-law? Is that what I'm here to do? Is moving here going to be what helps me and does something there? Um, she spent some time there trying to figure that out. And she ended up moving out to San Francisco to be with Ann and I. Um, does that make sense? You know, honestly, Matt, as you ask about it, I'm like, what is the, no, that was when, sorry, that was, um, no, she, <laughs> she did South Carolina and then we'd lived in Minnesota then. Yeah. Okay. She moved to Minnesota to be with us. And so she ended up, you know, living with us for a little while in our place and then eventually buying the condo in St. Paul. So it was, you know, I think her emotion was, okay, now that I've lost my brother, what do I do and where should I live and Family's the most important thing to me. How do I get closer to them and be nearer mm -hmm. to them? Um, those couple of years, honestly, are pretty foggy. Yeah, yeah. Of just stuff happened, but what happened when? What What do you think um, her influence was on you, just in general? Um, I feel like she's just always made me feel loved and always made me feel, um, I don't know, I guess the difference of like... Um, especially once my dad died, my immediate reaction was, or my, my brother to a certain extent, but then my dad passed and was like, I've got to take care of Katie. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's accurate. She takes as much care of me as I do of her, but we take care of each other. I think that's really evolved more, but my reaction at the time was feeling like, 
oh my gosh, I have to take care of Katie and mom. Yeah, yeah. And that's some misplaced like guy thing, right? Like it's it's not like my my mom and my dad honestly had a really even kind of again partnership of strengths, weaknesses. We do different stuff. It's not all you know gender related, but I feel like when when my that's still like I had some misplaced man of the house thing when my brother and and dad died that um no it's it's been fine it's been good but it's like i don't really know like my sister is so capable my mom's so capable either of them neither of them needed me to do that it was more (laughs) of like maybe i needed to do that is is the real reality of it yeah yeah it sounds like you kind of all are like that you know take charge you know um well i think part of that is like my brother was the natural leader yeah like we all I think got in line behind him in general. Um, you know, when mom wanted something done, we did it or she really wanted, she made it clear. We usually kind of, there's a lot of sarcasm in our family. And so it was a little bit of like, we gave mom a hard time, but if mom said we were going to Canada, we were all going to Canada. We all got that. Right. But then once we got there, it was a little bit of like, I think my brother was kind of the natural leader that we kind of stepped in behind. Uh And my dad was kind of the override leader, right? Like he often would just be like, nah, you guys are all going to the movies or doing something. I'm going to sit on the deck and read a paper. I'm not going to say much about it, but if he suddenly stepped in and wanted to do something, we all got in line, right? I think it's just a function of, I think it's probably hard to imagine that my dad was a real soft-spoken and didn't say much kind of guy, but literally like there'd be, I mean, I've been on car rides with my dad where I got less than four words out of him, <laughs> you know, four hour car ride. And you're like, Oh, what's the, well, I don't have to worry about what I'm talking to dad about. He's not going to talk to my dad about anything. <laughs> He's not going to say a word. Um, was really the kind of guy he was, but that meant when he did speak, it was like everybody took note. And if he had a preference and said he wanted to do something, we generally all got in line. Okay. But so it was really, you know, I think dad, then mom and Tom is kind of the, the one who was kind of the operational getting things going. So I think it's the, with the absence of them has really been where Katie and I step into those roles. The lineup too, my sister is, um, what she graduated high school before I was a freshman, right? So she was a freshman in college and I was a freshman in high school and my brother was a sophomore in high school. So my brother and I were super, super tight. Like we became best friends. We were always close growing up, but Mm -hmm. we realized in high school, like, oh no, we're best friends. We have the same, we have groups of friends that interlace and we want to be friends with them together. And it was a really special thing. My sister was enough older that it was just, that wasn't possible. Um, so there was a little bit of disconnect there, but never kept her too far out of the, out of the loop. Yeah. So when I think about your family and, and I feel that your children define you so much that I was wondering like, wait, but what if he didn't have kids? What do you think would have happened? Um, and also, I'm, I'm sure I'm just, you know, grossly overgeneralizing your life, but what do, you, what do you think things would be like if you didn't, if you were like, um, yeah, if you were single or just didn't have kids? Mm. Wow. Do you um, think about that all the time or yeah, have no, you not thought about it? For no, I have not thought about it a lot of, you know, from the very, when I was a little kid, like um, having a family and being a dad was something that I always kind of dreamed about. Um I guess I can sort of imagine no kids, but I really can't imagine life be without Anne, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine um, getting through those couple of years. You know, we were relatively new to our marriage and what our support Anne was and how much she understood kind of the mechanics of um, 
you know, funerals and things like that. Not, not that it's the, she had no natural, like, oh, here's how you get through and deal with grief. But at least the formalities of like, here are the kind things to do within mm. this funeral. And here are the things that we want to think about. You know, the, you know, we make fun of grandma, Mary Jean of like the, you set the table perfectly and here's where the fork and knife go and here's where the spoon go. And, but like Anne went to so many funerals and wakes when she was a kid that it was like, she saw what was really helpful and what was just, you know, either negative or neutral and kind of was like able to use that and help us. I think when we were dealing with this stuff, mm-hmm. have it be really a, a celebration of their lives a little bit, even if we were so sad, you know, at least bring some of that to it and think about how we do that. And I really, there was, I hadn't thought about what a difference that made. Um, and then just the, she was the rock that held me together through all of that. Um, the little kids, I mean, like, Again, I think maybe why my sister moved out, it was like the, you know, when you're sad, there's nothing better than a little kid who just wants you to read him a story because it's <laughs> the, what a nice distraction from the fact that I was feeling super sad or when I'm feeling a little bit like, you know, just depressed. It was, for me, the physical components of grief were the surprising ones. You know, you need to feel sad, but like you sometimes be like, something especially like six months or eight months after like more of like the as you got into feeling like oh it's it's a little bit behind me but i'm in real life now it was the it would just wash over you you'd be like i'm just doing something normal work or whatever i'm not thinking about it all and then something catches you and you remember have a good memory or something like that and then it's suddenly you just feel exhausted like just a physical manifestation of it it's not suddenly now my head feels sad or my I'm crying. It's like the suddenly I just went from like I'm awake and moving to like exhaustion. Like I just want to crawl into bed and be done. And uh, having the you know kid crawl in your lap and ask you to read a story a couple minutes later is what brings you back from stuff uh-huh. like that. Or the um, being able to have my my wife and that's so why the the concept of not having and I can't even fathom the concept of, I mean, I, I'm still surprised I have five kids. It's one of those kind of magical things that's happened for us. That's been great, but I never imagined that I was going to have five. Even when we had three, I would have guessed we wouldn't have more than three. After we had four, I wouldn't have guessed we had more than four. And <laughs> we chose these kids, but it's the, it's just kind of one of those things that felt right and was the right moments for us, yeah. not a long-term plan put into action. Um, and, and the intersection of all of those things. I mean, like you, you mentioned the uh, part of the running stuff was, yes, like I want to, you know, and was so supportive. Again, Uncle Nick, super helpful, right? Like literally a year of testing and like, what do we do? Blah, 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 blah. And finally, he just said, James, don't get fat. And you were like, that's kind of helpful in the weird, like, <laughs> the one well, I'm, well, I'm like, that's not the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me because I don't really enjoy that every time I put a donut in my mouth for the rest <laughs> of my life. It is really true and accurate of like, it's the one thing I can control yeah, yeah. Um, and have a chance at doing something about. And so um, I should say that the Uncle Nick that told you to not get fat um, is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that... <laughs> He could have saved healthcare a lot of money if he told me at the beginning of the process, right? <laughs> the number of times it was too, like, just put a, you know, we had so many, we had little kids, right, at that point too. And so it was put a little kid in the stroller and just go for runs. And at the time, especially when it was, I feel like um, some of it was out of body, like you're, like, again, you're like, okay, I want to do something nice for my wife because I love her. <laughs> and so let's get this kid out of here so she can get a little bit of sleep. And 
it's not possible to keep them quiet in the house. <laughs> so putting them in the stroller and running is pretty much the best option to get them out of the house. And then realizing like, I think the, to some extent, the, um, the um, emotional deadness that, that, you know, like, so you're, I'm out for a run and it was literally like, you know, like suddenly I can go farther than I've ever gone before. That wasn't like a runner's high. That was more of like a, I don't know. You can you feel a little bit like numb to the pain a little bit. Yeah. I, and I, so I got, I feel like I got a lot of miles and a lot of success running and otherwise just feel, feeling from like, you know, from having grief feel the, feel the process, um, which was a weird experience, right? To be like, you know, then two or three years later and be like, huh. People be like, wow, you're a lot faster. And you just be like, huh. I guess I, yeah, I don't know what happened I there. And then weird. And again, though, that's, but that's a magical combination of things, right? It was the, like, if it had been without Anne or without kids or just stayed in bed, mm-hmm. right? With Anne, no kids, it was stayed in bed. With Anne, with kids and wanting to do something nice for Anne and needing to do something with kid led me to a really healthy outlet. People who, you know, like some of the great art, either, you know, music or probably specifically music, right? It's where people have kind of leaned into the bad lean deep into the bad and then turned it into something amazing mm. when they turned it into music. And maybe it's the reason I don't enjoy it is because like I got nothing to turn it into. Right? <laughs> like, my leaning into the bad and getting into the bad just ends up with, all right, so what now? Versus if I had some like play inside me or musical talent dying to get out, that would be an outlet for that bad versus the, you know, the I'm like, mm, this isn't yeah, that much yeah. fun, right? <laughs> but you could be, if you're, you know, like some of the great, musicians of our time have been tortured souls who really leaned into the bad and then turned it into this amazing music that makes all the rest of us happy yeah. <laughs> yeah, it works good uh, for like a, a lead guitarist but it doesn't work good for like like oh man that guy was such a badass father remember how he fathered just went really in the dark place and ignored his kids that worked out great for him at work and home <laughs> but yeah that's funny I wrote down a question that said, how much is fear-based? Um, but, you know, with this overhanging fear of, um, like, mortality that was um, so tragically thrust into your life, um, how much do you think you um, use fear as, like, a motivator? Yeah, I think it's, you know, led into certainly the, you know, on an ongoing basis, really working at my health, right? So keeping an eye on the scale and keeping an eye on, you know, seeing the doctor regularly and getting all those things checked out is definitely motivated somewhat by fear, right? It's a couple of layers connected deep, right? There's like, the, oh, I want to be healthy in general. Then there's the, oh, and I want to, you know, be able to pick up kids and move docs and stuff like that. And But there's a couple of layers deep for there it is. And I also don't want to die. Um <laughs> But it's not kind of, that's probably not the primary motivating factor, but it's somewhere deep in the, the process there. I think when you think about, um, uh, it, it manifests itself in that like old cliche of just like trying to live each day to the fullest, right? Why wait for something you could do today? Why put something off that you could get going? How do you live with gratitude and how do you try to make those things happen? Mm. And I talk a lot about the fact that we both feel so fortunate, even with these tragedies in our history, right? It's the... You know, um, when you think about going through challenges with marriage or with kids, it's like the we've been through some tough ones at the beginning part of this. And even mm-hmm. when you hit new ones, you're like, well, they kind of pale in comparison to this. And so therefore it gives you a whole different mentality on being happy and 
being appreciative of it. So I, I think there's a, I think maybe it's fear frees you because the fear makes you feel like living each day is a better way to do it. And so it's not, I'm scared every day. It's that, that general kind of like knowing what could be and what that exists and looks like is what kind of drives you to a happier place on a day basis. But it's just a funny thing to feel like fear is what drove me to that happiness every day. But that's kind of how I feel. Um, but w- with Seamus, I was, I was trying to get him to complain about some stuff because I was talking about like gratitude and kind yeah. of forced gratitude. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, um, like, do you ever feel like you can't complain or just like be mopey? Mm-hmm. Um, and he, yeah. And, and then he wouldn't give me anything. He was yeah. just like, Oh, it's great, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, think about you. Don't like resent, you know, how you're not allowed to be ungrateful. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have my moments, right? It's the there are parts where you feel ungrateful, or you feel like I complain, or even like I even get modes where like that's that's kind of the trend for a couple days or a week or something like that. But I think the thing that brings me back is usually not like snap out of it. It's usually like this doesn't make anything better. This feels like it's making it worse, Mm. right? Like, so I think it's not that I don't not acknowledge that the bad's there. It's not that I don't get irritated with it. It's the, I have those, you know, a couple times a year where you kind of fall into the focus on the bad and then realize at the end of it, like, this isn't fun. This is making myself miserable and there's really no benefit out of it for me or anyone else, right? It's not like you're like, oh, the ungrateful gets me anywhere. So it's not that I don't, it's just that I don't, at the end of the day, enjoy it that much. Thank you for listening to Your Eulogy. My name is Matthew Shaname, and um, I'd like to thank my Uncle James and his two kids, um, uh, MJ and Seamus. Uh, well, he's more kids than that, but those two are the ones I interviewed. I'd like to thank them again for being on these past three episodes. Um, I uh, produced and did the music for this, and I edited it, so... You can blame me for everything. I still don't have an email um, for this specifically, so if you need to contact me, I think you can figure out the means through the um, reviews or something like that. Uh, Thank you again. I don't have a catchphrase, so uh, catch out. (laughs) Bye-bye.